there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is James D. Hicks, an American organist who lives and works out of Bernardsville, New Jersey, and holds degrees in music from the Peabody Institute of Music, Yale University, and the University of Cincinnati. His other studies include instruction at the Royal School of Church Music in England, and he is an associate of the American Guild of Organists. Uh, James held liturgical positions throughout the eastern United States and in 2011 retired after 26 years of service at the Presbyterian Church in Morristown, New Jersey. James has a tremendous reputation in the organ world from his ongoing Nordic Journey project. And as it has evolved, the mission of Nordic Journey has become threefold. The creation of new music, 15 new works thus far, the rediscovery of forgotten and or unpublished works from the early 20th century, and finally the inclusion of some of the mainstream master works of the Nordic composers from uh, from countries like uh, Sweden, uh, Norway, Finland, Denmark, Iceland and other places in the Nordic region. Further step uh, James is now taking is uh, discussing with a Swedish publisher uh, the creation of a Nordic Journey series in which the works that have been written for him and uh, have no publisher could see publication and be made available to other musicians. So in this conversation uh, James shares his passion about his Nordic uh, journey project and I hope you feel inspired to find out more about those rarely explored gems of the organ repertoire. Let's go to the show. So James, uh, thank you so much for joining uh, in this conversation. I met you online, I followed your work, I've seen your f amazing project uh, called the Nordic Journey, we'll talk in depth about it, and I'm even more eager to meet you in person in, in, uh, in about uh, less than one month, right, uh, when you will be coming to Vilnius physically to play some of the best highlights of this fantastic project thank you so much for uh, for joining in this in interview thank you so much for your upcoming uh, words of wisdom and welcome to the show well thank you for having me i don't know how much wisdom i have but i have a lot of passion and enthusiasm for this music and i'm just so delighted to be here and to share some of my thoughts on this so uh, so imagine Nordic journey. I was in a few a few times in Sweden only uh, you know in, uh, from these Nordic countries but I r right away felt something very very peculiar about this place that no nowhere else probably on earth is right and you wrote also something about that too in your student days. So can you do you remember what inspired you uh, to take on uh, more interest into this Scandinavian and Nordic uh, journey right. project. Right. Well, it's kind of a long story, but yes, it did start a long time ago, um, kind of by accident. You know, when we're all students, 
we're trying to learn all kinds of different musical styles and to immerse ourselves into different things. And um, I always was very interested in the music of Sibelius, particularly, but also Carl Nielsen, the symphonies and the chamber music, and and Grieg, Grieg's uh, setting of Norwegian folk songs. This was so different than the kind of standard repertoire and standard education that I was getting. And so I kind of, on my own, enjoyed this music very much, but somehow it went beyond just enjoying the music and then eventually playing the music. I felt there was a certain zeitgeist to a lot of this repertoire that could not be found, at least for me, in other types of music. I think there's a sense of nature, of darkness and light. There's a big folk song element, and it's a whole package which is considerably different than anything I'd ever heard before. And so I listened to a lot of this music, you know, the standard kinds of symphonic works, chamber works, choral works, and then started to ask myself the question, I'm an organist, is there anything there for me? And uh, I would ask professors about this and other people who are experts in the field of organ music, and really hardly anyone in the States could tell me anything. And finally, by accident, and this is way back now in the 70s, I found a recording in a a used record store. We used to have those things back then, uh, before the Internet. And I found this uh, uh, album uh, by uh, a Danish uh, organist, and it had the commotio of Carl Nielsen on it. And I thought, wait, I've, I've heard some of this guy's music. I will buy this and see what this piece is all about. It's an immense 20, 25-minute single-movement work, and I listened to it, and I thought, I've got to play this. And then after playing that and uh, other more standard works, like, say, the Sonata in G minor of Lindbergh, of Oscar Lindbergh, this opened up a whole different uh, world to me. Mm -hmm. And so I never forgot that. So I was 20, 21, 22 at that time. And then went on in my career of church music, but I never forgot this. And so I would say about 10 years ago, I started thinking about the Camozio and the Lindbergh Sonata. And I thought, you know, I love this music so much. And I love the music and other media uh, that have been written by Scandinavian composers. There's got to be organ music. And again, I had the same experience 30 years down the line of not being able to easily find anything about Nordic organ music. And so at that point, I took it kind of as a challenge and spent several years just researching on Internet, trying to learn about contemporary composers, going through scholarly articles, et cetera, et cetera. And I got hooked. Mm -hmm. And the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to play it. And the more I played it, the more I wanted to add something new to the repertoire. And that was giving me the idea of finding contemporary composers who I respected to write music for me. Once I got to that point, I thought, I've got to start recording. And I didn't want to do it here in the States. I wanted to be as authentic as I could possibly be and um, save up the funds to do a recording somewhere over in Nordic lands. Mm -hmm. And this is this point, about 2009, 2010. And at that point was when I learned about the music of Swedish composer Frederick Sixten, and other composers as well, and that's inspired me to make a recording. And I was able to talk uh, a record producer here in the United States, uh, Fred Homan of Pro Organo Records, 
to make the long trip over in the middle of winter in blizzards and whatnot to record the first album. And indeed, the cover of the first Nordic Journey CD was taken at night, and there's a moon in the background at Linkshipping Cathedral, and you see the snow. And to me, it's a perfect entree into the um, darkness, if you will, of and the and the eloquence of Nordic expression. You know, uh, James, when you uh, told us the story, I kind of remi- reminded me uh, of those also my student years. I also, you know, uh, f- felt in search of of some. A peculiar organ repertoire. Everyone was playing Bach. Everyone was play, yes. playing Frank, right? And Vidor yes. and Vierne and uh, many other masters. But, but you know, be, beyond that, you had to search. You had to go deeper, right? right? And in right. those early days, it wasn't very easy to find because internet was not available then. Right. So uh, what you did then? Um, Probably it started just as a as a passion, right? Just a right. side side project, right? In in search of a, a another field of repertoire, right? But then it developed into a lifelong pursuit, probably for you. Exactly, right now, you just right summed now. it up perfectly. Mm-hmm. And as a kind of side thought to this whole project, I as I get older, get sick of hearing the same things over and over and over. I think that's a problem within at least classical music. It might be a problem in other kinds of music as well. People want to play the same thing. People want to hear the same thing. And there's a whole world out there in all kinds of music. And even in organ music, which is kind of a niche um, endeavor, I guess, uh, is a huge repertoire. And there's this fantastic music all over the world from all over all periods of uh, time and this was also kind of a frustration with me as great as Bach is as great as Frank is we will always have this and treasure this there's a whole nother world out there and um, I would like to take the same idea and do an Italian journey or you know South American there's this great musicians everywhere so I'm trying to at least open my eyes and hope open other people's eyes to the fact that there talent there's talent everywhere mm-hmm. exactly and it deserves to be heard right deserve to be exactly. to, to to have the proper place in a, in a global organ repertoire yes because those creative ha- uh, accidents do happen uh, artists meet one another like you met uh, Frederick 610 right and right. uh, by the way, I also got introduced to this composer uh, from Sweden uh, from from your work. I was following your your sharings on Facebook, and when you posted something uh, that was uh, ref- uh, liked or shared by or commented by Frederick, I sort of felt curious. Who is? Frederick Sixten, right? Yes. And I, I've got uh, hooked also, and I invited right. him on this podcast, uh, which which will happen very soon too. Right. So he was, right. of course, very kind to me uh, to agree, and and uh, yes, and very very generous. So through these uh, friendships, maybe accidental, accidental, uh, basically. Uh, meetings, right? Lifelong friendships might might develop, like exactly. And, and in fact, that's that's one of the beautiful things about this experience, which I never would have imagined that I've made so many wonderful friends that I'll, they'll be my very close friends for the rest of my life in uh, various Nordic countries, not just Sweden, but Norway and and Denmark and Finland, and it's been a, a wonderful thing. And that's that's the nice thing about technology. I remember when I was young, you had to write letters to people. Exactly. Uh, but now you can talk 
and communicate with anyone. And uh, it, that's the plus side that, that uh, kind of brings us together. And we learn from each other, I think, uh, much quicker and much more easily. The minus, the negative effect of this is because, of course, everybody doing this, and be, it becomes like uh, the the uh, the spammy spammy messages. Like you never yes. expected uh, somebody to communicate with you. So so we we do have to be quite um, sensitive how we approach uh, strangers, exactly. right? We have to. Exactly earn their trust probably uh, instead of uh, asking for them oh give me give me something an opportunity to play your organ or invite me to your festival or something we first have to be helpful to, to, exactly. to them to their it, we have to get to know each other first and why we're doing this in the first place and and what is our motivation and so much is what is on the internet i just ignore and try to focus upon how is this going to advance our art that we love so much. Exactly. So we, we got a little bit sidetracked now from yes. your Nordic journey, of course, but it's yes. all very related. And it brings me to your early earliest memories. Can you uh, share with us uh, uh, basically uh, some of the earliest stories about the organ? Who introduced you to the organ and how did you become passionate about it? Yes, mine is a very common story. You know, we all start piano lessons when we're very young. And I did that from age six or seven, and I was studying with the organist at my church. Mm-hmm. And so I, I never really gave much thought to the organ per se. You know, I sang in boys' choirs right. and was involved in uh, various aspects of music, liturgical music making. But uh, I remember one lesson, I was playing this little piece, and I don't even remember what it was called, but it was kind of imitating the bells of a church tower, a carillon. Mm-hmm. And the, my teacher said to me, well, would you like to play this on the organ? Because we have chimes and different kinds of percussion stops. And I said, sure, let's play it on the organ. And I was hooked immediately. And so the deal was with this first teacher that I could study organ as long as I continued piano because he was very much of the opinion that piano was kind of a foundation for keyboard technique. Right. So that's how it started and getting me on the organ. And within a couple of years, I was working a job at a church and uh, playing every Sunday and working with choirs. And um, that's how it that's how it started. So thanks for this uh, boy choir. And of course, thanks for this yes. local organist. Right. Right. S- s- right. Somebody wise impro- introduced you to this instrument. You, right. you were curious about it. Right. And you got hooked for 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 life. Exactly. And, and just yesterday, by the way, I met some people in our uh, organ studio at Vilnius University. It's called Undamaris. Yes. And we had uh, our uh, first meeting uh, for the sixth season. Yes. It started six years ago. And, you know, we, we just started. And new members, uh, freshmen and, and faculty members from other departments came who were just curious about the organ and wanted to try out. And I was just thinking about how many of them will stay, you know, and how many of them will remember this particular day in, in 20 years uh, later, you know, maybe as a, as a turning point in their exactly. life. So what you t- we told you about this local organist who got hooked you, it's, it's all, all very, very uh, amazing that, that these accident, creative accidents do happen yes. and... Here we here we are. Yes, today. I mean, if I had if I had not known this person, I wouldn't be talking with you today about organ music. Exactly. And so we all need a mentor 
and we all need someone to plant the seed. That's why uh, it, it's uh, that connection is so vital. Uh, James, did you did you have any other interests be- besides music at that time? Oh yeah, I was involved in many things. I was involved in camping and Boy Scouts, and uh, I was a golfer, and um, I was interested in the dinosaurs. And I used to go out west to dig in the western part of the United States, digging up fossils. And mm-hmm. I was interested in many many things. And uh, and I think um, I think that's a positive thing because. I, I never was someone who specialized, even in music, uh, although I guess that's what I'm doing now. But a, a lifetime of trying different things and having different interests, I think, uh, makes your music better. Mm-hmm. Of course. And, and uh, of course, when you say you had many interests, those interests might have led you to another career path. Absolutely. Right? Dinosaurs, archaeology, yes. right? And uh, even even camping, you could be yep. a a scout guide or something, right? Exactly. If, if, if something happened early in your life, right? But then, again, something happened with organs, right? And uh, That's right. And, and I'm a better person for it because uh, it's such a um, challenge and such a wonderfully diverse art all in itself and can do so many different things and there's so many different kinds of organs and organ music in an age where people have standardized instruments the organ is really the only instrument that is different everywhere you go mm-hmm. and you could play the same make organ at two different places and the acoustical properties and the specs the specifications of the instruments will make for two different entirely two different experiences and that's to me the joy of it I'm not one of these people who believes in getting electronic organs and touring with them just so you have all the sounds pre-programmed it's the joy of exploration with each organ um, that to me is the, is the it's a great joy I hate to say this James but and people some some people will be offended by what I will be saying right now but But to have a, an electronic organ, uh, you know, with with one specification or maybe several specifications yes. in, in one in one uh, set, right? One sample maybe, and you go touring across the world, right? Yes. Which many people do. It's like a little bit like going to another continent, another country, and eating at McDonald's everywhere. Yes, you know? exactly. McDonald's, exactly. to, to have your taste a little bit, uh, uh, what you remember back home. It's also very predictable. It's safe, right? You, you have no risk to, to get infected from yes. s- uh, some some hedgehog meat, you know, uh, yes. somewhere <laughs> in, 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 let's say, Siberia. But, uh, yes. uh, but uh, you do lose some, some, uh, some pretty amazing experiences, right? Uh, pretty, exactly. pretty un... Uh, unforgettable experience sometimes which lead to something new right so and that's why i go to the organ for example this in the nordic organs for example uh when i made my first cd on the setterquist organ which was built in the 1920s at link shipping cathedral in sweden it has its own unique tonal properties and the way the d- different stops are voiced and the the timbre It's nothing like it, um, either in Germany or France or the United States or anywhere else. And that's intrinsically a part of the Nordic journey is not only to investigate the music, but to celebrate these unique sounds in different Nordic countries uh, using organs for which this this music was intended. 
in James, when you go, for example, to Italy, right, or to yes. the Netherlands to play this Nordic Journey um, project pieces, right, do you find that uh, you gain something from the local culture too? Uh, although you are playing Nordic music, the instruments are not. And uh, how do you uh, find this uh, collaboration between you, the locality, and the Nordic music? Right, I find it a very enriching and creative experience. I look at music as much more fluid. While I try to, in my recordings, try for a certain degree of authenticity, I don't really think that there's one answer for a particular piece of music. I could take a CD that I recorded a few years ago and then play it somewhere else, and it would be entirely different, probably. So when I go to other societies or other styles of organ, the music really gains new layers of uh, interpretation and I feel like I understand this music in an entirely different way. Uh, for example, uh, I had a piece recently written for me by Sven Ingvart Mikkelsen, who's at, at the Fredericksburg Castle in uh, Hillera, Denmark, and I played a piece of his uh, in July on the 1610 Compendius organ, one of the oldest organs anywhere. Wow. Wow. And it was a variations of fugue on a Danish folk tune, and I premiered the piece there. But since then, I've played it at other places and have enjoyed it just as much because you get different sounds, different temperaments. The, the Compendius organ is in uh, mean tone temperament, and I've played it on equal temperament and Verkemeister and... So you, it's not just even the stops, it's just the temperaments and the acoustical properties, which makes it so uh, fulfilling to me. You could take that one piece and record it 20 times, and you'd have 20 different insights into this composer and to this wonderful music. When you when you told this experience, James, uh, I got I remembered uh, how I first listened to the to the uh, Volumina by Georgi Ligeti yes. Uh, yes. that my friend and co and great mentor Hans Davidson uh, played <laughs> in Orgrite near Shirka in uh, in Orgrite uh, New Church in Gothenburg uh, right. during during one of the in, in inaugural recitals of that great. Uh, North German style organ that they have, you know, in 2000, yes. in the year of 2000, and I was sort of transfixed by the idea of of somebody uh, really taking a, a, a leap here, right? Yes, playing a, an avant-garde piece like this on a mean tone a temperament organ. Like exactly. And he had uh, two assistants uh, pulling the stops and ma managing everything and doing s miracles with registration, which could not be possible on, uh, let's say, uh, electro-pneumatical action organ at all. Exactly. And uh, with, with uh, uh, motors and uh, um, blowers turning off, you know, those, those right. effects. Right. Uh, amazing experiences, experiences and... Uh, And he, he was very, very brave, Hans was, I think, yes. uh, to do this. But, of course, it all worked out so well. Just like in, in, in on your case, when you played uh, in Fredericksburg uh, Castle on 1610, right? This organ right. He has only wooden pipes, as I remember, right? Exactly, so yes. So imagine playing, uh, playing your, your Nordic Journey pieces on this kind of instrument. This is, is very bra brave, James, what you did. Well, it's, um, it's a part of the beauty of the instrument we play. For example, Volumina 
played on an organ like that, it, it has an organic kind of woody uh, living experience and contrast that with the same composer soundtrack to the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey, which has had an electronic, uh, you know, metallic, almost artificial, uh, aggressive kind of feel. And then that, just with that one composer, and then looking at organ music, you can achieve with uh, the same composer a, a variety of musical experiences taking the organ at the 1610 Compendius at the castle there in Denmark and playing the same piece on modern organs or, or other types of instruments. That's why I, I would never imagine wanting to play um, a, a virtual organ or electronic organ when you have so much variety within um, acoustical pipe organs. True. You know, organs are unique in, in that, uh, as you say, uh, no instrument has this flexibility, right? Pianos are always pianos today. Exactly. Unless you you do have some luck on playing Zilberman for the pianos, right? Yes. Then it's a little bit uh, uh, shady and, and uh, exciting yes. or even more uh, early Steinways, right? Or, or um, other, you know... Uh, less lesser played today instruments, although they kind of also get recognition today during this early early performance practice. Uh, yes, uh, basically uh, a re resurgence of, of this movement, right? Work, yeah, you, you can hear this. You can hear this in other instruments. Um, for example, the Vienna Philharmonic. I think they still use instruments from uh, the 19th and 20th centuries. So you have the kind of a, a, more of a warm kind of burnished sound as opposed to maybe just off the top of my head like the brilliance of like the Chicago Symphony mm-hmm. which is very um, uh, brassy and um, an entirely different sound but I, I still think with organs we have much more variety and um, centuries of, of, of different technologies if you will that's intrinsically related to the music that we play mm-hmm. So this uh, Nordic Journey project, right? Uh, you got hooked. Uh, you you sort of uh, you you told me you are a hiker, right? Uh, by yes. Passion. You yes. you like hiking, especially in cold weather, right? Yes, and, I love it. Um, it happens sometimes in Lithuania too that we have below freezing temperatures, and people right. do hike or sometimes run, you know. Uh, yes. Uh, and uh, long distances too, and. Uh, it's all very, very mysterious, this atmosphere, snow, darkness, right? Yes. And of course, in Lithuania, we don't get that much darkness because it's not very north, uh, exactly. northern uh, latitudes. But uh, um, but still, when you go to, to places like Link Shopping or, or <laughs> Finland, especially, right? Yes. Uh, the land of Moomin Troll, right? Yes. <laughs> they... they they have sometimes in winter days when the sun never rises, right? Yes. Um, so, do you think, do you find their music, let's say Finnish music, or Sibelius, or, or, or other more, more contemporary composers' music, um, uh, sometimes maybe they imitate this darkness in brooding sounds, like, right? Yes, I really think there's a link there, and uh, I, I just received a score from the Swedish composer Niels Lindberg, uh, which is called uh, Reflections from Dalarna, the province in northern Sweden, which is very much responsible for the, the folk music, the, a lot of the folk traditions of Sweden. And you can just hear it in the music. There's a me- melancholy, 
There's a darkness to it. There's a lyricism to it. And I, I, I can't help but think that the um, being that far north can't have some effect on the musical expression and, and other uh, artistic expressions. So I think that that dichotomy between having months and months of darkness and then in the summertime having nonstop light, mm-hmm. it's got to have some kind of effect on how people live their lives and the kinds of things that they uh, create from an artistic point of view. Just look how they celebrate Midsummer, right? They go crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. they have this also musical expressions in their festivities also. And I'm wondering, uh, did you find anything related to the uh, national celebrations of, let's say, Finland or 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 uh, Norway or or Sweden, even Iceland, right? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Did you find anything related yeah. to that? One- one thing I really try to do increasingly is this Nordic journey, which was supposed to be just like one CD and then I would go on to do something else. But and then I got hooked, as I said. One thing I really have tried to do with these series of recordings is to work with many composers. And one thing I often suggest when we talk about a commission is to make the music or the particular composition really indicative, reflecting their country and their folk culture and both from a thematic point of view with uh, certain uh, musical themes, but also harmonically from a formal point of view. So it's really something that can only come from, say, Finland or Iceland. Um, I, I did a, a, a concert in Reykjavik at the Hallgrimskirche last year, and the first piece on the program was a premiere of, uh, of a piece that was written for that organ using a one of the most important Icelandic uh, folk themes and specifically written actually for the horizontal trumpet on that particular organ. So it was very much a product of a time and a place. And that's what I'm continuing suggesting to the com- wonderful composers that I'm working with now. Try to make it reflective of Nordic culture as much as you can. You know, we've got enough preludes and fugues. Right. Uh, you know, if you have to write a prelude and fugue, then try to use a, a theme from a particular country um, and to try to make it more of a specific culture. Right. Did you have a chance to visit Faroe Islands, for example? Yes. Uh, do, yes. They do have a separate culture there, right? Yes. And Especially in fact, Oregon. I, I found that with every Nordic country mm-hmm. I've been to, there are certain similarities, but there are tremendous differences between each one. If you contrast Finland to Sweden, entirely different in in so many different ways. But yes, the Faroe Islands, I had really never even heard of until a few years ago. And uh, I happened to buy um, a CD of wind music from the Faroe Islands, which was brilliant, all by new composers. And I thought, well, I've got to learn more about this. And so I went and played at the summer festival in, in 2015 and played some Faroese organ music. And it's uh-huh. fantastic. Exactly. And it's entirely different. Um, it has this kind of introspective uh, feeling to it, this quiet kind of feel. Because it's, if you look at a map where the Faroe Islands are located, it's in the middle of nowhere in the North Atlantic. So it's not it's not near anything. So these folks have really developed their own folk culture and being so separated for most of their experience, uh, they've come up with their own thing and it's and it's wonderful. And there are some fabulous composers there now. 
the only thing that Lithuanians, for example, know about Faroe Islands is that uh, our national soccer team always yeah. compete with Faroe Islands team on um, uh, qualifying, you know, uh, championship uh, for yes. the European Cup or, or the World Cup, you know, and we almost never win, you know, we are so yeah. bad at soccer yeah. that, that we compete with those, with those, uh, our distant neighbors, let's say, and uh, uh, we basically we don't know anything about that culture at all so right. some and things that you reme uh, discovered there is so fantastic for for people around the world not only for Lithuania too right right and that's the power of music in general because music is an international language we can all understand that to a certain extent we can all speak that language and so for example learning a more about new music from the Faroese culture or hearing their indigenous folk music really gives you a window into their point of view and you can kind of sense their isolation, the loneliness really of their culture. I mean, they, they were, until technology made uh, transportation more uh, amenable and possible, that uh, these folks uh, were left to themselves for centuries. And it's intriguing then to see how that affected their dancing, their music, the visual arts, and their whole, really, uh, philosophy and, uh, and perspective on life. And music gives us a window into their soul. And regardless, their, their peculiar location on the globe, right? Uh, isolated yes. culture, right? They do have a very prominent international organ festival there. They do. Mm -hmm. They do. And it's just amazing these countries and in Iceland the same way that if you look at the total number of people who live there um, it's amazing at what they've accomplished I mean for example even Sweden I think has something like eight or nine million people in a vast country that's the population of New York City so just look at these societies um, I think Denmark has between five and six million Iceland maybe three hundred and fifty thousand something and they're they're creating such fabulous new music and they've been doing so for, for quite a while and in all the performing arts and that's what continually makes me uh, uh, amazed at uh, these societies that are really not at the forefront of what we would think of as um, uh, notable. I mean we, we hear about the United States, we hear about Russia, we hear about China no one, you don't see many news releases about the Faroe Islands in the New York Times. But uh, you know uh, what happens today, uh, James, is that uh, that the culture is now no longer monolithic. Uh, yes, you exactly. don't hear in, in New York Times uh, those distant places, but uh, there are there is a group of people interested in it, right? And they may connect online in some appreciation uh, culture group of of those distant lands, you know. And although it doesn't get mainstream media attention at all, uh, or not enough, but thanks to people like you, for example, of course, this music and this culture gets recognized, right? May I say, for example, may I uh, assert that uh, James is one of the most passionate uh, uh, people who make uh, Nordic music, Nordic culture, organ, especially culture known in the world today. Can I say well, this? That's well, you can say that. I, it's it's uh, my goal to celebrate the culture, to celebrate the music. But it's interesting enough. I'm not a Nordic person, right. nor do I have any Nordic that I know of ancestry. 
most of my family came from Scotland, England, and, and maybe a little bit France. And so that I know of, I, I have no ancestral connection, but yet somehow the uh, expressions uh, from these countries speak to me. And I think it's um, because a lot of this music sounds very introspective to me. That and we were talking about darkness and cold weather. That it's kind of reflected in um, their their means of expression, and somehow that um, speaks to me. And I can't, in the end, explain it. Right, and and James, uh, uh, those uh, governments of Nordic countries that you are involved in uh, should give you an honorary citizenship, citizenship, or or a medal for for. Being well, you know so generous and promoting their <laughs> culture, right? I think it will happen in some times because. Uh, uh, do you think that uh, uh, Nordic people uh, recognize that somebody like you from from America takes their culture and uh, you know goes abroad and uh, um, uh, shouts fr- from the roofs about the the treasures that they have do they appreciate your efforts enough today well i think the composers do mm-hmm. and um i think audiences like hearing the music i was in uh, denmark recently and played a program called nordic journey And it had featured every Nordic country that I could think of. And all of this was music was not only new to the audience, but it was new to any of the organists who were there. And um, I, I just think people might appreciate just because of the novelty of it and to open up new possibilities. There are many fine, fine organists all throughout the Nordic lands who play Nordic music. I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to think that I've at least given the chance to composers to create something new yes. and try to celebrate unpublished works from previous eras or forgotten works that I think should be um, appreciated and played by others now. So one of my goals actually is this project continues is to start a Nordic Journey series in as far as music publishing is concerned to uh, make a lot of these rare scores available to other organists so they can play for their audiences and to enjoy. But uh, I'm not the only one doing this sort of thing. I mean, um, there, there, there's an incredible amount of really fantastic music making happening all through the Nordic world. The more the better, James, right? The more Absolutely. This is not a competition. The more that people can share and uh, contribute a verse to the, uh, the poem, so to speak, uh, is all to the good. Because uh, when people hear your passion about Nordic culture... Some people, yes, they 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 follow your path and get interested in the, in this culture, right? But some think people think, wait a second, maybe I should get interested into uh, Romanian culture, right? More right. or uh, let's say Balkans, right? Balkans right. also have fantastic organ culture that Absolutely. that it's just beginning to get traction in the world. It it does uh, because f- through from the efforts of uh, of of certain organists and organ uh, builders and organ experts you know who promote they have festivals and 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 etc but but it's still relatively new to the to the uh, general global organ music lovers let's say yeah i i think in general people don't understand why i'm doing this i think um particularly uh, in my travels that uh i think that It's hard to explain why someone would devote so much time and the major part of one's life now 
to uh, a culture that has no connection to my heritage or music that uh, has only recently become a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people tend, and we've just talked about it, they, they, they like the familiar. They like the stuff that they know. They, as you say, they want to go to McDonald's when they visit Paris. I mean, that's it's just a part of life now. So there are a lot of people who probably don't understand. There are probably a lot of people in the Nordic lands who don't quite understand why I'm doing this, but a lot of people do. And I, I think there's a lot of uh, excitement now amongst many musicians for what they're discovering and what technology has allowed us to discover. And the technology such as what we're doing now enables us to share more. And, and James, uh, when you, um, for example, collaborate with those Nordic composers, uh, do, they, do they have their own ideas, what they can compose, or do, do you suggest something? How it's, how it's, it's a little bit of both. At the beginning, I would just say, write me a composition. But now I really, I try to be as specific as possible. And I think the composers appreciate that to give them a sort of um, a guide to what I'm trying to accomplish and to how a new piece of music might fit onto a particular project. Um, right now, I'm just starting a project that will take me to uh, Trondheim, Norway next year at the Nidaros Cathedral. And so I'm really... Uh, promoting Norwegian music as a, a special part of that project, uh, although there will be music from other Nordic lands as well. But um, each project is now having its own identity, and so I'm trying to give as much information as I can of my desires to composers, and they, they seem to respond very well to that. And uh, James, when you mentioned earlier about the influence of folk music uh, in those yes. compositions, today and earlier, in earlier days, right in the beginning of the 20th century, let's say, um, I cannot help but uh, but notice or remember that uh, so much legend, so many legends and myths, uh, mythical uh, creatures, right, are, are walking the woods and mountains in those regions, right? Trolls yes. and, and uh, witches and, and, and other uh, creatures that we don't even know the names, right? Yes. So, uh, my question is to you, uh, do those uh, pres- present-day composers take sometimes the, the mythical elements of their culture? Do they create uh, some musical compositions inspired by that? I think somehow subconsciously they do. And I think this, this mythic quality still informs a lot of the Nordic world, which I find very fascinating. For example, in Iceland, if they are building a road and accidents happen or whatever with the actual construction, they'll think that the elves are unhappy. This is true. I'm not making this up. And they'll re- redirect the road around some particular place so as not to disturb the elves. This stuff still happens. Um, I can't say that with composers, they're actually thinking this way. But uh, I think, um, for example, if I suggest a theme, uh, for example, uh, earlier this year, I premiered a piece by Shelmuk Carlson, a wonderful Norwegian composer I've grown very close to. And I requested a piece from actually the Shetland Islands, north of England, that was uh, very much a Viking settlement in the Middle Ages. And there's a wonderful medieval uh, melody called the Hymn to St. Magnus, which is in parallel thirds. It's very unusual uh, medieval theme. And so I, I asked that he write a kind of a visionary piece based upon this uh, rather obscure medieval um, melody. Mm-hmm. 
And the result was this sprawling, uh, very dramatic, almost 20-minute piece that I played at Kalmar Cathedral in Sweden last April, and I hope to record someday, that has this sort of mythic kind of epic quality, almost like a, a Icelandic saga. It's just uh, such an imposing um, structure to it. And uh, the drama behind it, is, it just seems to have this uh, larger-than-life quality. So while I can't say that elves and mythic spirits inform these these composers, I think it's a part of their subconscious mm-hmm. and they're a part of the way they view the world and uh, it's a very mystical, mystical kind of thing that in the end, I can't explain. You know, it's so fascinating, James, you mentioned Iceland. I just yes. remember um, they have this mythical creature called uh, um, um, uh, the ogres, ogres called uh, uh, Grilla, Grilla, G-R-Y- um, uh, L.A., you know, uh, and this is so mythical and fascinating. It's a legend, pure legend, but it goes uh, about on Christmas town time in in in, uh, in Iceland. Uh, this ogress uh, descends from the mountains and from the caves that she lives in, and um, together with the black cat, she has a Yulan cat, or cotton, uh, they they call it, and together they hunt for children. And they yes. eat children. They, yes. uh, the gorilla, this this witch, uh, eats bad children, especially children who don't get enough uh, presents in the form of new clothing. Yes. Imagine that. Uh, <laughs> at Christmas time, <laughs> if you don't get enough clothes, you might get hunted by by gorilla. So, and and uh, this cat, black cat, is not very. Um, uh, wise in terms of choosing uh, who is uh, with new clothes or not he, he just eats everyone you know <laughs> <laughs> every every kid so in those days in 18th century and 17th century even 19th century kids were instructed to 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 uh, uh, i think uh, to carry a knife or a scissors because yes. uh, or this gorilla would put them into the i don't know uh, 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 how do you call it? Uh, um, a big box or non box, but yeah. th- a place where they could use the scissors to get out, you know? Yes. Uh, so, the reason I'm mentioning Grilla, legend about Grilla today, is that for this Christmas, I will be improvising a legend about Grilla on my organ in Vilnius University St. John's Church, one hour long musical wow. poem based on this uh, terrible scary scary Christmas story and uh, sometimes you know uh, nativity stories are okay you know but people get get so used to that right yes and uh, this is a different nativity story right exactly <laughs> very dark and, and uh, yes uh, Nordic too so my question to you is uh, James did you uh, find any traces of Grilla in Iceland um no, um, I, I kind of stayed to the ring road <laughs> and in Reykjavik. Um, but, you know, I, I did think about this because if you look at the, the scenery and the topography, it's, 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 it's like being on the moon in Iceland. It's very volcanic and rocky and stark. And you can imagine that if you were living out in the middle of nowhere in the darkness of the wintertime, that you would see things. And I think that's how a lot of this mythology and folk customs start, because 
it um, it's so easy with a little bit of imagination to uh, come up with this stuff on your own. And they they have such an incredible literary tradition. They've always been you know centuries. Everyone writes books there still, and um, they're very probably some of the most literate people that you would find anywhere. So it doesn't surprise me they would have some legend like that. And in any culture, they produce the Icelandic sagas. And then afterward, um, of course, if you go there, you can't help but uh, flashback and imagine these things. And it's so fascinating that those myths and uh, sagas inspire new music to create, right? Yes. Living 21st century composers uh, from Iceland or from other Nordic regions, might uh, get inspired by by those sagas yes. and you are the one who is performing it's amazing yes well that's why i'm interested in breaking out of like the standard forms that organists play there's nothing wrong with sonatas and chorale preludes and whatnot and i still play this sort of thing but increasingly i try to connect musicians with whom i'm working to, to get them to plug into the unique qualities of their particular part of the Nordic experience. And that's why legends such as the one that you mentioned, that's very important. Mm -hmm. By the way, I would encourage you to record that improvisation recital and maybe to write it down on paper. Uh, I record every improvisation yeah. recital that I play and I, if, if I'm lucky, if the technology works, I will put it on YouTube for others to yes. listen to. Yes, well, I've seen some. They're really fantastic. But I'm thinking you should get the down into... Uh, Uh, on on paper, on paper a, a yeah. composition, you know. Yeah, people ask me to do this, but um, I kind of <laughs> get uh, sometimes hesitant to do this because it's easier to improvise 100 musical poems than to transcribe just one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's like a very, very long dictation, taking very, very tedious dictation. Yes. Uh, have speed, you know. Of course, to YouTube today has uh, this technology where you can play at slow speed to uh, 50, 50%, and the mm -hmm. pitch level still say, uh, stays the same. It doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't drop right. one octave lower, and it's amazing. So it's possible. It is possible to, to uh, improvise something on the spot and then re re uh, transcribe it later. Right, right. Yeah. So, so James, uh, fantastic insights. I'm very curious uh, if you have something to say about the music that you will play in Vilnius also. Can you share a few uh, thoughts on that? Yes. Um, one of the pieces I'm playing is by Finnish composer Mari Vitala, And this is a triptych, three-part piece, big piece, but almost 20 minutes, in which... Um, Again, I suggested the theme. It's a, it's a wonderful Finnish folk song. And he constructs a very uh, interesting contrapuntal tour de force. This is a, someone who used to teach Baroque rhetoric at the Sibelius Academy in Helsinki and uh, Baroque counterpoint. And so you can see his comfort and ease of expression with those difficult and complex contrapuntal structures. So this piece starts... As I said, it's in three movements. The first part is called canon, mm -hmm. and that's pretty much what you get. A very um, increasingly complicated canon in four parts, five parts, six parts. And then the second uh, section, second movement, is a series of variations upon this Finnish folk theme in which there are trios, um, fugettas, uh, arias, all means of uh, forms that are used, finally culminating with a double fugue. 
and which is an incredible tour de force. And then in the final at the end, he sums up um, the the folk tune and a very compelling harmonization. That'll be kind of the biggest piece that I play on October 1st at, at your church. Um, but there'll be other things, a short piece by Frederick Sixton, uh, Takata Festiva, uh, to start the program. Um, the piece I mentioned that I played in Denmark at the Fredericksburg Castle, I'll be playing the Variations Fugues, Variations Fugue on a Danish folk tune by Sven Ingvar Mikkelsen. Uh, so it'll be a lot of uh, new music mm-hmm. that it just wasn't even in existence in the last uh, year or so. Um, uh, some things from my Finnish CD that I just recorded in uh, Turku uh, over the summer. So a lot of new things uh, that I'll be very excited to share. You know, I'm so delighted that you are you're doing this for the organ world, James, because right now the global organ culture, especially in the western western hemisphere, faces some kind of cultural identity crisis sometimes um, in terms of uh, uh, lovers of organ music sometimes abandoning interests uh, uh, because maybe it's so related to church, right? Liturgics. Yes. Uh, um, and, and sometimes in Europe too, people don't go to church anymore uh, as right. often and if, if organ is associated with the, with the church too much it gets it gets sometimes also downgraded so I what you're doing uh, james is very valuable in this case too you are you are reviving organ culture in a different way um, not necessarily making it secular yes uh, but uh, you are uh, sort of giving a chance for for people to experience another kind of organ organ side right so uh, have you ever thought about this that in the long run in in 10 20 30 years from now uh, maybe your efforts uh, will lead uh, to to generally speaking more interest into organ music uh, globally I think about this type of thing all the time. You bring up a couple of very good points. Number one, the organ really is inextricably connected to the church. It's always the the best instruments have been in churches, the beautiful acoustics, beautiful architectural treasures. But the downside of that, as you say, people don't attend churches much anymore. And the organ for a long time has been not so much in the mainstream of musical expression. It's more of a a niche now, a specialist. Mm -hmm. Also, I think to the um, uninformed or the amateur uh, that organ music is something kind of musty and antiquarian and not really related to interesting new ways of thinking. That the organ is kind of an antique thing. You know, we have, they, they might know that Bach was an organist, but it has no connection with something new. You know, with other kinds of music, with rock music, people are interested in. Well, who's put out the new CD? Exactly. You know, I'd like to hear the new uh, thing on the charts. And we need to, I think, adopt some of that attitude. And we had that at one time. People were interested in the latest Beethoven symphony or the, the newest Mozart opera. Uh, but somehow we've gotten caught into this um, academic kind of approach to, to classical music. So that what, I, what I'm in my very, very small way trying to do is to create the idea that organ music can be exciting and it can be a, a, a product of our time just as much as uh, commercial music can be and that there's exciting things to be heard 
that has nothing to do with church and religion or I mean it can I have nothing against that but that um, the organ because of the the incredible amount of expression and, and tonal possibilities can be even more uh, relevant I think to contemporary music making if we think outside the box and put the vidor away just for a few years and try something new there's so many great composers out there and great organists that we have all kinds of possibilities. So yes, it would be my goal mm-hmm. once I'm done with this project, and hopefully I'll be able to do it for a long time, that maybe years down the road it'll blossom in ways that I can't even imagine right now. And that, that certainly would be the long-term goal. Anyone could go out and make a recording of Bach. You know, There's nothing wrong with that, but it's been done mm-hmm. a million times. And so what I think for the overall health of music is to try to think of something new. And this is just my approach and the project that I chose. And hopefully the music that's coming out of this um, can be an inspiration to the next generation to, to, for them to find their own voice. So this living organ culture in the 21st century is so vital, right? When you when we go to Paris, let's say uh, capital of the world in, in terms of organ probably yes. today, even today probably right uh, i do kind of get a sad feeling that uh, yes we we get so much to hear so much great music in their cathedral and uh, yes. and uh, basilica and and other churches that we adore basically but in earlier 21st 20th century when dupre was alive when durufle was alive and langlais was alive right they all created something It exactly. was it was um, a little bit different uh, situation than today. There are only a few people. Terry 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 probably one of the champions uh, today, who yes. is still, uh, uh, of course, Naji Hakim is uh, yes. another one who is still trying to write, trying to write their own new things. Not only improvise. Improvisation is. Uh, Basically, you cannot live without an improvisation in Paris. But they're doing more than that. They are composers. So what you uh, probably inspiring people around the world when, when they hear Nordic Journey, right, project, maybe composers will, will turn their eyes into organ more also, not only in Nordic parts, but everywhere, right? Uh, that's so, the, that's and, and the goal. Maybe it will uh, revive the, the general culture that we're talking about. I mean, just think about the 1920s in Paris and how exciting that would be with all those composers you just mentioned. Plus, that was the age when Ernest Hemingway was in Paris and other writers. Uh, just think about the, the, the fermentation, the, the interaction between all these writers and painters, Picasso and, uh, and, and all these great composers. What a lively and uh, fascinating time that was. And it would be so wonderful to kind of recreate that in, in some ways now. It's certainly possible. And uh, so I, I think this, uh, we've just got to get away from the historicism, the, the academic uh, approach to music, and to really try to make this a living tradition living rather tradition. than a museum piece. 
a music that changes people, right? Uh, exactly. Of course, the museum still can change people. It is art, nevertheless. And art is something that touches people and changes for the better, right? This experience. Yes. And uh, sometimes iPhone is a piece of art, too. iPhone 7 now released, right? <laughs> uh, if, if it does change the world, it might be called art, right? Uh, um, Steve Jobs was certainly an yes. artist, right? And um, but we we do ha have a need, great need for people like that in the organ world, right? The visionaries who 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 lead us, you lead us into the future. So what you're doing, James, is leading leading uh, our culture into the unknown, right? Well, thank you. Thank you so thank much you. for doing this, and yeah. have a tremendous creativity. And, thank you. Uh, and um, I sometimes don't. Uh, don't get caught into your you know inner drama sometimes you know you know this voice inside your uh, which tells no 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 it's risky it's too risky people don't appreciate uh, yes. uh, let's say uh, Frederick Sixten's music yes. in Vilnius right or yes. in in, uh, uh, in the Netherlands they never known right but you do take a leap here leap of faith so I, I salute you for that and thank you so much you Another tremendous adventure ahead of you. Thank you. It's been great talking with you, Vitas. And before we end, people yes. probably are curious uh, how they can find more about you and your, your work, James. Can you give mm -hmm. them a link? Okay. Yes. Um, I have two websites now. And you just think of my name, James D. Hicks. It's jamesdhicks.com. I'm on Facebook. I also have a second website. We, we don't really have time to talk about that, but this kind of combines my love of, love of hiking and music and Nordic culture. It's called HicksNordicHike.com, in which in 2018 I'll be hiking the St. Olaf's Path in uh, Sweden and Norway uh, in memory of a friend of mine who died of cystic fibrosis, and I'm trying to raise money for cystic fibrosis research. So uh, that's another way to hear about my activities. And uh, my CDs are uh, released by Pro Organo in the United States, and that's ProOrgano.com. All the uh, CDs so far are there. Fantastic. I will uh, make sure to include all those links into the description of this podcast okay. so that people who will go to our website, for example, they can click, literally click right. on the, on on the, the links. links. Yes. Again, thank you so much. You are a tremendous inspiration. And thank I am you. so looking forward to meeting you physically, face Absolutely. to face in Vilnius. It'll be wonderful. Thank you so much. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt, where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.